0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, as you're being seated, I want to invite you to have your Bible turned to the book of Hebrews. We'll read a couple of passages today from the book. Um, We're starting our study on the book of Hebrews today, and um, we'll mainly be focused on just kind of an introductory approach to the book. Um, to get us started, and so um, excited about this study. Um, I believe that God has a lot in store for us to teach us as we get into the book of Hebrews um, really excited about what God is going to show us and reveal to us through this book. Um, typically, what we 've tried to do here at Sovereign Hope as we teach through big books of the Bible that once we 've spent uh, typically two years or so in the book um, you know, we finish a book, and then what I like to do before we jump into another book for that type of time frame is to try to cover a book chapter by chapter, just so that we can cover another book of the Bible. Do it in a more timely manner. We typically do it chapter by chapter, um, with the intent of providing you kind of a consolidated um, understanding of the book, giving you the opportunity to then kind of go back and study it on your own. So we've done that with the book of Jonah, um, which is only four chapters, so. Um, not, very, not even a long book had we gone through it verse by verse, but more of a narrative, so we did it chapter by chapter. We've done that with the book of Romans, so I think we have about 17 sermons on the book of Romans, 16 chapters, one introductory week I think we did, and so um, we've got those sermons in, in our archive as well, and so my hope was to do the same thing with the book of Hebrews, is to, to give us a consolidated understanding of the book, cover it chapter by chapter, probably take us just past Christmas time. And uh, we'll kind of wrap up this study, and then uh, the plan and the hope is to move into um, one of the Gospels and kind of camp out there for a, a year or so as we work through that um, verse-by-verse, story-by-story type of thing. So we'll do that through the book of Hebrews. Um, I have to confess that—well, um, I'll confess what I'm going to confess in just a second. The context of the confession is that the book of Hebrews is—the uh, last class that I took in seminary was on the book of Hebrews and I took it, even though I was up at Liberty, resident student, you could save some money by doing it, uh, what they called the distance learning program, so you could buy the cassette tapes or the VHS tapes and watch the lessons and kind of do it and kind of speed up the process. So I was trying to cram some classes in, trying to get through and graduate uh, from seminary with my master's, and so I opted to take this class in VHS format. And pretty much waited till like the last minute before the deadline to really start doing it. And so I'm cramming these videos in. And the whole time I'm thinking like, man, like I I really should have done this slowly. And I can't wait to the day until I get to come back and kind of study it more in depth. Because I was just cramming it in. And and I thought it was going to be something that I didn't enjoy. uh, Just because of the state of mind that I was in at that time trying to graduate. And the videos were extremely old and outdated. But man, I just was so encouraged by the but the things that I was able to retain from the, from the professor as I was blowing through video after video, and so um, even pulled out my notes from, uh, from that class, and so I've got those on hand that I'm kind of reminding myself of and refreshing myself of um, in my own personal studies. So excited to work back through this, excited to really give it the attention that it deserves because I failed to do that in seminary for sure, and so I'm excited about what God wants to teach us through the book of Hebrews. So we'll start with kind of a summary sentence for Today, um, just to kind of give you an idea really of kind of a summary of what I think we're going to see throughout the entire book of Hebrews. And that's that our study of Hebrews will help us see that Jesus is superior to all things found in this life, giving us great reason to hold fast to him while encouraging others to do the same when we are tempted to abandon our faith due to persecution and or temptation from this world. All right, so really what we're going to see is kind of a a theological theme that runs through the book of Hebrews and a practical theme that runs through the book of Hebrews. The theological theme is that Jesus is better than everything, particularly in the context of the book. We see that he's better than the uh, Old Testament typologies and institutions and um, things that were a part of the Judaism religion. Um, And some of those things they had added to what God had given to them, okay? But what we're going to see is that The author of Hebrews wants us to understand that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, which is why a lot of the things in the Old Testament are no longer necessary, right? And when the book of Hebrews is written, it's written at a time where people were wrestling through that because they were having to give up things that had really been a part of their life since they were born. For these Jewish Christians that were becoming followers of Christ, the Messiah, To tell them that you no longer have to offer sacrifices, you no longer have to go to the temple, uh, it was an adjustment for them. And the book of Hebrews helped them adjust to the things that they were hearing and being taught as Christianity uh, began to separate from Judaism. All right, So theologically, we're going to see that Jesus is better than all things, which gives us the practical piece. It gives us great reason to hold fast to him. And we're going to see that in the book of Hebrews, we're called to help others hold fast too. It's not just a, an individual thing that we do. We do it and we call other people to do it as well. We hold fast to Jesus when we're tempted to abandon our faith. And the theme of apostasy runs through this book as well. The idea of people claiming to be Christians and then falling away from Christianity. When we're tempted to abandon our faith, whether that's due to persecution or temptation from this world. Right, and, and these are themes that we were seeing in the book of Revelation. So we're not we're not that far from what we were, what we've been talking about in the book of Revelation, because we've talked about persecution coming, and persecution continuing to intensify as we look to Jesus coming back. We talked about the great temptation of the prostitute of this world and and the temptations that the world has to offer, and how oftentimes it will lead people away from Christ, and so. When we're tempted to abandon our faith, when we're tempted uh, or because of persecution or just sinful temptation, the book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is better than all that stuff, and it gives us great reason to hold fast to him. For our kids, when we're tempted to sin or walk away from our faith, we must remember how great Jesus is. All right? Um, Some key elements that I want you to understand from the book of Hebrews, and again, today's big overview type stuff, and so uh, number one, The book draws heavily from Old Testament language and typology to show the superior worth of Jesus in comparison to Judaism. That's one of the things that we're going to see very clearly, whether we're talking about Moses or Melchizedek or the sacrifice system. All those things are rooted in the Old Testament, and they're seen as types of things that Jesus is or does in the New Testament. Okay, So the book draws heavily from Old Testament language and typology, to show the superior worth of Jesus in comparison to Judaism. One of the other things that I like to do when we've especially been in a New Testament book for a long period of time is to try to get back into the Old Testament, right? And so this is kind of a happy medium. We're not doing an Old Testament book, but we are doing a New Testament book that talks a whole lot about the Old Testament. Okay, so it's kind of a happy medium. We're covering a book chapter by chapter in the New Testament, but talking a lot about the Old Testament. right, secondly, the high priestly ministry of Jesus is a focal point of the theology found in the book. In Hebrews chapter 8, if you have your Bibles open to the book of Hebrews, you can look at Hebrews chapter 8. And I know a bunch of people have purchased the, the ESV journal Bible that we made available. I think we have some in the back that maybe haven't been picked up yet, maybe three extras that are available. Tyson can help you out if you would like to have one of those and don't. So um, those of you that have them, you've got Hebrews text on one side, you've got uh, space for note taking on the right side. Let me encourage you to, uh, and I think some of those chapters may end up having two or three pages, depending on how long the chapter is. So you've got some flexibility there to potentially put some of your own notes down as you're studying the Book of Hebrews, but also to try to include some of the notes that I may share with you as well, if. Obviously, there's not enough space to write down everything note-wise that I'm going to give you probably on that space. So if you want to even think of consolidating it to maybe summary sentences for each chapter and then maybe the key outline points, because remember, I always try to make my key outline points application-driven, like they are they are telling you to do something. So if you were trying to jot down just those key notes, I think it would probably be helpful in regards to um, saving space in that journal Bible that you're using, Okay. Um, so, the high priestly ministry of Jesus, focal point of the theology found in the book. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now, the point in what we are saying is this. Man, the author of Hebrews just really clears it up for us, right? He's like, here's, wh- here's why I'm telling you the things that I'm telling you, right? We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. All right? It goes on to talk about verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than, old, than the old. Old as the covenant he mediates is better since he enacted on better promises. All right, so the author of Hebrews, leading up to chapter eight, is really trying to build this strong point. He really wants to emphasize we have a high priest. We have a high priest who gives us access to the throne of God. We don't have earthly priests that mediate for us between us and God. We don't have a a, a high priest here who offers sacrifices for us. That Jesus comes and does away with the need for all of those things because of his high ministry, because he's better. He brings better promises. He brings a better sacrifice. He is a better priest. Okay? So we see that in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Number three, there are great warnings and encouragements found in this book, and they are presented about holding fast rather than falling away from the faith. All right? So that's another key element of Hebrews. Not only are we talking a lot about Old Testament language, not only are we going to really emphasize the high priestly ministry of Jesus, but we are going to see great warnings and encouragements being presented about holding fast rather than falling away from the faith. That's the practical side of what we're going to be seeing in the book of Hebrews. Theologically, lots of Old Testament stuff about Jesus and why he's a better priest. Practically, why we should hold fast to that truth and not fall away from the faith. All right, I heard one group talking about how the book is... It's really grouped with the epistles or the letters of the, of the New Testament, but it, it's written more like a sermon. Um, it's written more like a sermon than a letter. And so if you look at Hebrews chapter 13, very last chapter of Hebrews, verse 18. Actually, let's skip down to verse 22. Verse 22 of chapter 13 says, I appeal to you, brothers, kind of his final words, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. That, that word of exhortation parallels what happens in Acts chapter 13, verse 15. This is when Paul and uh, his companions are are traveling on their missionary journeys. It says, um, verse 15 after reading from the law and the prophets the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying brothers if you have any word of encouragement for the people say it so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said and begins to preach a sermon through the rest of that chapter okay so word of encouragement word of exhortation it's the same word really in the original language and so the book of Hebrews is really written more like a sermon well what does that mean Well, I think it means that we should expect to find encouragement and conviction as we study this book, okay? Just like oftentimes when I pray, I pray as we get ready to teach that God would provide us the encouragement that we need and the conviction that we need because those are two byproducts of studying the word, especially having it proclaimed publicly and teaching and proclaiming it in this type of setting. Encouragement and conviction. So we should expect to see both in our study here in the book of Hebrews as well um it's a book of evaluation the word better is used 13 times in this book and it's showing that jesus is better than something so it's certainly a running theme it's also a book of exhortation as the author tells us at the very end and that we have a responsibility to trust god and heed that word of exhortation is kind of his appeal to us um as 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 the author and the one who wrote uh the things that are contained for us in the book of hebrews all right Let's talk a little bit about the purpose of Hebrews. We've said theologically to show that Christianity is superior to Judaism and all other religious systems for our kids. Hebrews helps us better understand the Old Testament. And really, Hebrews, I would say, is the key to reading and understanding the Old Testament now in light of Jesus' work. Like it's, it's the key to getting it right. Um, so sometimes people will, will ask uh, difficult questions. Sometimes people that aren't Christians will try to trap uh, believers by bringing up something in the Old Testament. Our key to understanding the Old Testament is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews gives us great insight in knowing how to read. So it kind of shapes our understanding looking backwards into the Old Testament. Things that were sometimes veiled to the people back then that weren't clearly communicated, now that stuff has really come on the scene through Jesus' first coming. We have a better understanding of the Old Testament because of the book of Hebrews uh, with Jesus coming and, and him really showing us how to, how to filter the Old Testament through the work of Jesus, okay? So theologically, shows us Christianity is better um, than Judaism but also better than all other religious systems as well, okay? Um, I liked what one commentator said. He said that ultimately the book of Hebrews is the implication of Jesus' statement on the cross that it is finished, Right? Like we know that when Jesus dies on the cross, we even see the veil being torn in the temple, kind of a, a picture, a, a significance of the fact that things are changing drastically now. Like there there is a change in redemptive history now that Jesus has come and ushered in a new covenant. All right. Practically, we've said that it's to encourage believers to not apostatize and instead press on towards maturity. We're gonna see that this group of Christians that that the author is writing to They've had some great growth initially, but they've kind of stalled out in their growth. And now the question is, are you going to fall back or are you going to move forward? Um, And so practically, the book of Hebrews was written to help this group of people uh, feel an encouragement to not apostatize, not fall away, not walk away, but instead press on towards maturity. For our kids, Hebrews helps us trust Jesus when times are hard. Why would these people be tempted to fall away? Well, we're going to see as we work through the book that persecution is increasing for them. Um, In just a minute, I'm going to explain to you that that I think the book is written before AD 70. Remember, Revelation most likely written after AD 70, right? And we said that after uh, AD 70, persecution really starts to intensify, and we've got martyrs in the church. We don't have really any indication that there was a, a, a... widespread, full-on assault against the church prior to AD 70 in regards to people losing their life. Now, there was persecution. There was imprisonment. We see that with Paul and Peter in the, in the uh, book of Acts, right? But it had not necessarily intensified to where average, everyday Christians were worried about martyrdom, okay? But the author of Hebrews anticipates that that's coming, Right? He even makes the comment that you've resisted, but not really to the point of bloodshed. Like it hasn't gotten to the point where your life is at stake for following Jesus. So um, there is persecution that's increasing for them. Christian teaching is not being appreciated. And attendance had not remained a priority for them in this church. Let's look at a couple of these passages just to give you uh, a little bit of insight here. Hebrews chapter two. Verse 1. I'm just going to briefly hit the five warnings that are contained in this book, and obviously we'll touch on them more in depth when we get to each chapter. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? All right, there's, there's some concern and warning about these people possibly drifting away from the revelation that's been given to them, possibly neglecting the great salvation that's been offered to them. All right, you skip to chapter 3, verse 12, and we see another warning that, that we'll get to eventually. But it says, Hebrews three twelve. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All right. The author talks about the dangers of sinful temptation. If we give ourselves over to sin, that there's the very possibility that we will become hardened in such a way that we we fall away. All right. Hebrews chapter six, verse six. And just so because we won't touch on it today, but just in case this is the only day that you're here. Like, I fully believe in the assurance of salvation for a believer. I believe in the security of the believer. So we're going to understand these passages in light of that truth, okay? So, um, but I do think the warnings are there for a specific reason, and we'll talk about them as we get into this study. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. We'll start in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. All right, so this is, again, the idea of people falling away from the faith. All right, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven, all right? So some real strong warnings there about not rejecting truth, not rejecting revelation about Jesus, not falling away from that, and the difficulty at times of being able to come back from that, okay? So abandonment and rejection of Jesus after knowing him is what's being addressed here with the idea of apostasy. Why would they do this? Because of persecution, because they're they're not appreciating Christian teaching, because we're gonna see the passage that talks about how, um, The author would love to give them meat, but they're still stuck on milk. Like they haven't progressed in their understanding of Christian doctrine. And then we also see in Hebrews chapter 10 that they need to not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. That some have stopped prioritizing gathering together with believers, and they've allowed other things to kind of consume their time, all right? And so attendance was an issue. Learning was an issue in the church, and then persecution was increasing. All reasons that kind of bred the, the possibility of them falling away from the faith. I told you that we're in a transitional time when Hebrews is written. If you think back, in the and we won't read these passages, but in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 3, we find out that the Christian Jews are still worshiping in the temple and the synagogues, right? Like when, when Jesus shows up and then he leaves and the day of Pentecost happens, there's a transitional time where a lot of the Christians are Jews and they're still worshiping in the synagogues. They're kind of still transitioning out because there for a little while, Judaism and Christianity are kind of assumed to be the same thing because they're not that different until the Jews flat out reject the teaching of Jesus. Now, if you go back and read in the book of Acts, I told you that that Hebrews is a lot like a sermon. It's a lot like the sermons we find in the book of Acts. Book of Acts makes strong arguments for Jesus being the Messiah, And so you see guys like Stephen and Peter who preach these sermons, and what do they do? They start in the Old Testament, and they talk about Jesus being a fulfillment of that. And then what happens? Every time that sermon ends, it's either these people believed or these people rejected it, right? And so it's at this time in this transitional period where the Judaism people start to separate from the followers of Jesus. So those that, that hang on to Judaism kind of stay put in the synagogues, and the Christians have to start finding other places to worship because they're no longer welcome because there now is a division in their belief system. All right, We also see missionary preaching beginning in the synagogues. This was kind of Paul's method. We saw this a couple of weeks ago when we walked through the book of Acts, how Paul would start in the synagogues and would teach uh, Jesus and, and kind of see what the reception was like. And then in Acts 13 and 18 and 28, we start to see the separation take place between Judaism and Christianity, and it forever happens in AD 70, right? When AD 70 happens and the temple falls and the sacrifices are done away with practically, right, the Jews would still like to be doing that in their minds, but they don't have a place to do that. AD 70, God really confirms and says, no, I'm serious, like like we're done with this. We, We don't do this anymore because Jesus came. He is the Messiah. So no more altar, no more, no more temple, no more sacrifices, no more priests. Those things are no longer needed. They were all typology representations of Jesus who is now on the scene, all right? So that, that division becomes official eighty seventy 70 when the temple's done away with. But it's not done away with, I don't think, here in the book of Hebrews. So just kind of put yourself in a position where if you grew up and everything you would ever experience spiritually was one way, again, these are kids who who grew up and they became adults, but they grew up in a system where they had to offer sacrifices for their sins. They had priests that they had to go to for that. They had a specific location, a very formal place to go to for this type of worship. Places where they weren't allowed in certain rooms because of how, how it was kind of closed off for only certain leadership within the, within the temple that could go in there. Like, that's your experience for years. Then all of a sudden, you start hearing teachings about Jesus, right? Right? And all of a sudden, things start to change. And, and what you're hearing now from this leadership is, we're going to start meeting in houses. And you're like, houses? Like, like houses are dirty and filthy and, and not really a place of worship, right? And, and then you're being told by your leaders, and you don't have to offer sacrifices anymore, right? Like, like we hear that, and we're like, ah, they're probably relieved by that. But think about it. If you were used to, to pulling an animal out of your flock, buying an animal out of somebody else's flock, bringing that regularly to a setting where you had to watch that thing be killed, and and your your understanding of forgiveness of sins is kind of tied to that system, and all of a sudden you're told, we're not going to do that anymore. You've been in churches where leadership has stood up and said, we're not going to do this anymore, and it's like far less serious stuff than this type of stuff, right? Like, We're not going to have Sunday school anymore. We're going to have small groups. Man, there was a phase not too long ago when that was kind of the norm where churches were getting rid of Sunday school and small groups, and you had people revolting over the idea that we wouldn't have Sunday school before the sermon and that we were going to do stuff in people's homes and not in Sunday school rooms. I remember at Mount Gilead when we were there and that that transition was happening, there was a lot of resistance to the point that leadership said, you know what, we'll just do both, right? Like We'll just make everybody happy and we'll do Sunday school and small groups to make people happy. Man, put yourself in their spot. This is why they were so tempted to fall back into this system because it was all they had really known. And it wasn't like they were saved out of paganism where things were evil. They were saved out of an Old Testament perspective, which is very good, right? So, So there's a lot of temptation to fall back into this because we're talking about worshiping in homes and no longer temples, no more sacrifices, no more priests, no more altars. Everything starts to become very spiritualized, right? Like you raise your hand and you're like, Pastor, like, what about the temple? And the pastor says, well, your body is the temple. And you're like, come on, like, really? Like, like, I've been to the temple before. Like, how in the world are we gonna make that connection that all of a sudden I'm supposed to see my body as the temple, right? Pastor, like, I feel like I should be offering sacrifices. Like, why can't we keep offering lambs and, and different offerings to God? Pastor says, well, you're, well, your life is actually supposed to be offered as a sacrifice, right? Like, like, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Oh, come on, like, that's, that's not, it's that's not as, really as easy, right? Like it's easy to bring an animal, sacrifice and be done with it. You're telling me that I have to leave this setting and offer myself daily as a sacrifice? Man, it was hard for them to connect all this stuff. Hebrews is written to help them connect it, to help them be done away with stuff that they had been doing for years and were a little resistant to maybe let go of. And we're very tempted to go back to when persecution arose, because as this separation happens, Judaism is legal, Christianity is not. So when you start to label yourself as a Christian who meets in a home and doesn't offer sacrifices, now the government can come after you. It doesn't come after you if you fall under the veil of Judaism, which is why the Pharisees and, and Paul, Saul before he becomes Paul, was so intentional about persecuting the church and getting them out, because they wanted clear separation. They are not the same as us. Do not let them worship with us. Okay. Book of Hebrews is written to help address some of these things. All right. Let's talk a little bit about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Some things that we know. All right. Some things that we know about this author, because we don't know who the author is. Um, we know that he's a second generation Christian. What we mean by that is that he did not receive Christ directly from Christ. He's not like some of the disciples who walked and talked with Jesus, worshiped with Jesus, learned from Jesus, learned from Jesus. He's kind of hearing it secondhand because in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. All right, so the author is grouping himself with this people group that's receiving his letter. We're a group of people that heard from the people who heard from Jesus. So he's a second-generation Christian, okay? Um, He has a strong understanding of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Because his Old Testament quotes come from it. All right, so when he's quoting from the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews, he is not using the Hebrew language version. He is using the Septuagint. Well, how do we know that? Because the Septuagint, when it tra- just like when we translate in English, you have to take some translation liberty in saying, okay, what is this word going to mean in this language? So the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, They translate it from Hebrew into Greek, and they have to make some translation decisions about what's this word going to be and how we write it in Greek. When he quotes from the Old Testament, he's using that version. Okay, so he has to be an individual who has a strong Jewish background, but also one who's who's kind of a, a skilled understander of the Greek language because he's certainly reliant upon the Septuagint as kind of his source of authority. He has great literary abilities. He never claims apostolic authority. He knew Timothy. We get that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23. He makes reference to Timothy being released and and does so in a way that implies some type of knowledge of him. And he enjoyed a close relationship with the readers. He he knew who these people were. He knew their problems. He knew their growth. He knew their, their stalling out in their faith. He had a close relationship with them. He knows their history. Even in chapter 13, verse 19, he says he plans to see them. And throughout the book, we're going to see that he has a real pastoral heart for them. (laughs) Who are some possible candidates that may have wrote Hebrews? All right, First one that a lot of people think is Paul. They want to label this as another book that Paul wrote. Um, I actually wrote a paper on this in that class that I crammed in and I can't find it, and I'm really disappointed because I feel like I put a lot of, att- that was one thing that I put a lot of attention to in that class, and, and I can't find it. I, I found some other papers from, from college. It was back really before people had computers um, on a regular basis, and so it's, it's, um, it was printed off, and, and you know, I had it, and I can't find it. Um, but I remember in writing that, a lot of the research that I did, a lot of people believe it's Paul um, because there's a lot of Pauline theology in it, but it's not written like Paul writes. I, mean, I don't know if you've if you've recognized that in reading the book of Hebrews and reading the book of Philippians, they just don't sound like the same person wrote this. Um, the style is very different. Um, there's no greeting at the beginning. I mean, think about the books that we've studied uh, that Paul has written, right? Like he talks typically very early about um, who he is. Always very quick to kind of announce his apostolic authority. Like, here's why you should listen to me. Um, greets them, kind of encourages them right off the bat with some things that, that he that he 's proud of them about that 's absent um, from this and uh, Galatians 1 talks about how he received the gospel directly from Jesus right like he gets that that experience on the Damascus road where Jesus communicates the gospel directly to him now it 's post ascension but it 's definitely jesus so i don 't think paul would group himself with a bunch of people who he would classify as second generation Christians. Okay. Next person would be Barnabas. Barnabas is a pretty cool guy in uh Book of Acts. He he's a strong candidate, I think, for this, because he um he always seems to kind of show up when there needs to be some type of mediation about what's happening with Christianity in light of all the Jewish stuff. Right? Like he is helpful with the, with the council when they're trying to communicate what are we going to impose upon Gentiles that are coming into Christianity based on what we understand about Judaism. So he's kind of a, a, a leader in that capacity. He's even very influential in getting the church to welcome Paul into what the church was doing. So it's very likely that, that Barnabas is uh, possibly the author of this. He, um, his name means son of encouragement. We talked about this word of encouragement that's given through the book of Hebrews, so kind of a play off his name, uh, potentially. We also find out in Acts chapter 4 that he's from the tribe of Levi, which would give him a great background knowledge of the high priestly ministry of Jesus because he would be coming from the tribe where the priest would, would come from, right? So pretty cool to think that Barnabas could have written it because he would have had a great working knowledge and understanding, and he was already kind of functioning in that capacity by helping bridge the gap as all this transitional stuff was happening. But the third guy, the third guy is our man Apollos, right? Apollos is a Jew from Alexandria, so he's got like Jewish background. He has a Greek influence in his life, right? So he's kind of best of both worlds. He knows the Jewish peace, probably using the Septuagint based on where he comes from, right? Let's look at Acts chapter 18 again. It's always a great time to mention Apollos because, Lord willing, if the Lord blesses me with another son, that will be his name. So I always want to encourage you that it's not a weird name, that this dude is a biblical stud um, because of what Luke tells us about him in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, listen to what he does. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures. Now, what Scriptures are we talking about? talking about the Old Testament, because that's all they would have had at this time that was kind of compiled together. Powerfully refutes the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So when I wrote my paper, I wrote it that Apollos was the writer of it, because... He's an eloquent man. We talked about this as an eloquent book that's written, right? He knew the Old Testament well because he's demonstrating it here publicly as he's a very apologetically arguing for Jesus to be the Messiah. So he's refuting Judaism. So those are some of the strong reasons that I think that he's worth considering. It doesn't really change a whole lot, whether he is or isn't the author. Um, but it does kind of help us see... Potentially the influence that maybe a guy like Apollos had in the early church kind of takes some of the things that he was doing in the synagogues and projects it into um, the book of Hebrews, right? I might be the only person that still uses Yahoo. Does anybody use the website Yahoo for anything? I'm like in this old habit of, there's like a handful of websites that I check regularly, and Yahoo's one of them. I don't know why, but I always check Yahoo News and I, and I always get my news from Yahoo, right? And they had this really cool um, website or article this week that talked about how this this company was taking, like, historic paintings and images and creating, like, digital recreations to kind of help us see what would some of these old, old people look like. So they had, like, George Washington. They had uh, some guys I'd never really heard of. Um, they had... I think, like, Cleopatra was on there. So they were taking, like, paintings and images, taking the picture and saying, like, this is what this person looked like, right? So I'm kind of reading through this article, and surprisingly enough, they think they might know what Apollos looks like right here. Yes. Man, I've been waiting a long time to do this. Um, so, yeah. Lauren and I are pregnant again, um, and I circled the bottom piece right here because when we went to do the ultrasound this time, there was a really strong heartbeat, which we haven't had the last two times with our miscarriages. Um, so both times, he um, wasn't developing like he should have. Our child and was underdeveloped, and there was no heartbeat. Um, so we've been praying over the last year after those two miscarriages that God would provide if, if that was his desire. Um, and so we're really happy to report that at our last visit, he was, he or she, probably he, you know, um, was measuring exactly where he should be, had a really strong heartbeat. Um, and so we're really excited about that. We know that, you know, the doctor told us that this is a, this is a great step as far as what we had experienced twice this last year. Um, we don't know. You know, for sure, um, we're certainly praying that God will continue to produce healthy growth and development in Lauren, um, but it seemed like the appropriate way to tell you guys, as we talk about the author of Hebrews, possibly being Apollo's. So there we go. All right, moving right along. When was it written? When was it written? Most likely after '70, everybody kind of like, whoa wow, yeah. Um, most likely after 80'70, because here's the thing. If I'm writing a book of the Bible and I'm trying to tell you that Judaism doesn't doesn't work anymore, it's not needed anymore, if the temple has been wiped out, then all I really have to say is, see what God did? He took away the temple. But that's not mentioned anywhere in the book. And in fact, a lot of times, its uh, temple-type activities are referenced in like the present tense. Okay, so in Hebrews chapter 5, Verse 1, it says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So kind of a present tense thing that's being talked about there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So it it does this several times. Um, Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. There's all references that are kind of present tense for um, activities in the temple. So it's probably written after AD 70 um, because that destruction would have been kind of the trump card to use. See, this is why we don't need the system anymore because God took it away from us. All right. Let's kind of wrap up talking about who Hebrews was written to. Um, and I want to do it in such a way where when when I kind of share with you some of these things, I want us to kind of put ourselves into this position because while we, to my knowledge don't have anybody that was saved out of Judaism here, um there's some things that these people were going with going through that I think still is very applicable for us, right. So I want us to kind of see some of that. Um, First of all, it was written to specific people with a personal history with specific problems. Um, It wasn't just written for Christians in general. It was written intentionally early for a group of people that the author knew. And they had specific problems that are going to be addressed in this book. Um, It was Christians that were probably living in Italy, possibly living in Italy. Kind of going off that persecution discussion, I told you they were being persecuted probably not to the point of martyrdom. The very very end of Hebrews 13, verse 24, it says, uh, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. All right? If you look back at those who have been coming from Italy in Acts chapter uh, 18, This is where Priscilla and Aquila uh, come on the scene. It says, "After after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so they're not necessarily killing them, but they are commanding them to kind of move out. And so it seems like the author is writing from the perspective that we've got some people over here that you guys know because they've come from your area they're greeting you back that direction. Um, We've said that Christians who have not seen Jesus, but by faith had believed in what they had heard about him. Man, that's us, right? Like, we haven't seen Jesus. We're not first-generation Christians. So these these guys are us in the sense that they find themselves in a position where all they've ever heard is Jesus. They've never seen him, and they've had to place complete faith and trust in him. Sometimes we read in the New Testament, and it's like, well, yeah, Paul followed Jesus, like he saw him. Yeah, Peter followed Jesus, John followed Jesus. They saw him, they walked with him, they talked with him. These people that we're going to read about in Hebrews are people that that they had not seen Jesus. They had heard about him, they'd placed their faith and trust in him, and they were expected to persevere without ever seeing him. All right? They're people with a strong Jewish background and understanding of the Old Testament. Uh they're Jewish Christians who were tempted to revert back to Judaism. We've said that. Um It probably also includes a group of people that understands but has yet to commit to it. In John chapter 12, and this is where I think we're going to see some of these warning passages. And I told you guys before, I can talk to you like I believe everybody's a Christian here, but I also know that percentages would say not everybody's a believer in here. Everybody, for the most part, in here has heard the gospel, understands who Jesus is, but maybe has not yet fully committed to him like a group of people in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Man, that probably describes a lot of people in churches today, too. People that... Kind of pseudo believe, sometimes claim to believe, but when it's not beneficial to believe for them, they, they, they do things differently. Um, this definitely describes my football team at Trinity, right? Like, like these are guys that, if, <laughs> if you're sitting around talking, we're all Christians because we all go to Trinity Christian School, right? But I know some of the things that some of them get involved in outside of our school when it's not beneficial to claim to be a Christian. Right, so I think we're going to see that some of these people that read the Book of Hebrews are are like these people here. That they, they know it, they've tasted of it, they've experienced it, but really haven't sold out to it yet, and need to because they're going to fall away if they don't. Okay. Um, so some descriptive statements about the the audience that I, that I want to kind of go through, and then I'm going to give you three to write down to remember. Uh, they were most likely starting to backslide, specifically into Judaism, due to increasing persecution. They had weathered persecution well in the past, but like I said, had not experienced martyrdom. In Hebrews chapter 10, these aren't people that immediately have started falling away when persecution increases. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, the author says, man, you guys, I'm calling you to do something that you've done previously. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And, and sometimes people might would use this as like a prison ministry type support, and, and it's not bad to have prison ministries, but like what they're talking about typically here is like they were visiting Christians who were imprisoned for their faith, not necessarily people who were imprisoned for being criminals. He's saying you sought to minister to people who were imprisoned for their faith, like people that you're really responsible to encourage, Christians who are no longer with you because they're in prison, right? Um, You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So the author is reminding them, Hey, you've done well with persecution in the past. Don't start to fall away now. Like you've endured sufferings. You've been thrown into prison. You've ministered to those people. You've stuck with it in previous times. Continue to endure. Their church had been around long enough to have strong, mature leadership as well. Chapter 13, verse 7 talks about their need to listen to their leaders. Um, They had had leadership development take place in their church. Um, But these are the three things that I want you to remember. Remember? They had stopped progressing in their faith and were becoming dull in hearing. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. They were not growing in their faith, and they were in danger of falling back or walking away. All right? I, w- I want you kind of to think about this. Um, do you potentially fit into that category where you are still in need of discipleship you are still in need of growth, that you're not ready to be able to not just formally teach, but you, you wouldn't feel confident sitting down and, and teaching somebody else because you don't feel like you've progressed enough in your faith. Because if that's the case and you've been saved for a while, which I know a lot of people in here have been saved for a while, that message may be true for us as much as it was for the Hebrews, that you ought to be teaching people and yet you still need the milk. Man, I hope that we're never in a situation where we're in need of even like elder type leadership and the people that God would desire to have in that spot have not grown up and matured in such a way to be used in that spot. It's why part of the application in regards to our vision is that you identify the qualifications of leadership in scripture and you pursue sanctification in the areas that you would identify as weaknesses. Because the author of Hebrews says, man, there's a group of you. You guys should be teaching people, and you're not yet. You've become dull in hearing. You're not pressing forward. You're kind of content with your biblical knowledge. You're kind of content with what you know about the gospel, and there's no real effort to push yourself forward. Right? Like, Where are you at in your own personal study, in your own personal pursuit of Christ? Right? Like, like What's your time in the Word currently like? Does it, does it demonstrate that there's a desire and a healthy discontentment with what you know about God right now is it pushing you forward to to greater maturity because these people had stopped progressing and had just kind of become who they were and the, the author is kind of frustrated because he says man we should be we should be beyond where you're at right now and you need to get there number 2 they were great at meeting needs but had not as progressed uh, had not as progressed as they should as teachers and, and that may be certainly where we're at as a church at times Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. He, he's, he's highlighting and praising them for their, their service and their hospitality towards people. He says, man, you, you guys are getting this right but man, you're not progressing like you should on the theological side of things. That's a good measuring stick for us as we get into this book. Are we in the group that would be faithfully meeting needs? Are we in the group that's progressing towards uh, being able to teach? Again, not necessarily formally teaching in the church, but just being the type of person that people want to meet with and connect with because they see great, they see great spiritual guidance in you because of the maturity that you've, you've seen uh, take place in your life. And then lastly they were not attending as they should. They were not attending as they should. <coughs> Hebrews chapter ten uh, verse twenty-five. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um be easy to kind of jump on them right here and be like Seriously, like, like why, are you not, why are you not meeting together? And we kind of step back and we say, well, why don't people meet to de- together today? Well, a lot of people are involved heavily in sports and, and travel-type ball that sometimes takes them away from being able to regularly attend church. Others are heavily involved in the lake and weekend activities. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think what's going on here is that there was a real danger to gather together with other believers and that your life was on the line. And I think some of them had started saying, "Uh, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Right. So the author is saying, you better get together even if it means costing your life because you need each other to persevere and endure. How much more would the author of Hebrews say, you need to be meeting together as a family now when there is no threat of persecution, like the things that are distracting you and keeping you from attending not near as weighty and heavy as the things that were potentially affecting their attendance. They weren't attending as they should. The author is very concerned because of the warnings that he's already laid out in this book. Man, if you're not faithfully gathering together and having, having uh, love and good works stirred up in you by others, man, there's a real danger of you falling away because right after this, if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. All right, application points. And kind of a a different sermon today because of the intro piece, Um, but I want you to see beginning of the book, end of the book, what the author has to say. Right off the bat, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The author says we need to pay very close attention because while everything that he said in the past was authoritative, comes through man, but it's authoritative. He says something better is happening right now. He's speaking directly to us through Jesus. Right, And then in Hebrews chapter 12, towards the very end of the book, in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For us, I think we need to recognize that God's going to speak to us in the midst of this month-long, several-month-long study of Hebrews. We need to be prepared to listen well. We need to be prepared to listen well over the next several months because God's going to speak to us through this book. That means prioritizing attendance and prioritizing learning. Prioritizing attendance, really, really striving to be here for this study, to be here faithfully for this study, and then being able to prioritize learning on your own. Because I love this format because I'm not going to exhaust every chapter of Hebrews, right? Like You're not going to come in and get every ounce of everything in chapter 1 next week be a lot of stuff that I don't even touch on due to sake of time this afford now now, when we're studying other books verse by verse unless you go and get a bunch of other resources you may feel like man everything I'm even trying to read on my own Adam's already touched on and talked about and I don't feel like I'm I'm learning anything new based on how Adam has taught us in this case there's gonna be a lot of extra opportunity for you to learn and study on your own um, if you want to take advantage of it. And what I like to do whenever we start a new study is kind of share some of the resources. So I'll share with you two, one light reader, one expert reader based on size, right? So, And these are commentaries that aren't high academic commentaries, so they're a lot easier to read, a lot easier to kind of follow along. You don't have to be a Greek scholar, Hebrew scholar, Old Testament scholar to understand what's going on, right? So the first one is, is from the commentary series, Christ-Centered Exposition, Exalted uh, Exalting Jesus in Hebrews, all right, so it's got, um, the author of this one is uh, Al Mohler, um, but the editors are David Platt, Daniel Aiken, um, some other guys. So this is one that I'll have up here if you want to come look at it, because this would be a great resource to kind of use to kind of reinforce some of the stuff that we're talking about. But again, um, I have to, so like chapter one for this one is like is like all of this. And so that, like for all of my commentaries that I'm using, I mean, it's big, thick sections. I don't have the time to exhaust everything. So even though I'm using this commentary, I'm not going to touch on everything that's even found in this commentary. That's especially true for this one, um, which is from the Preaching the Word series uh, by R. Kent Hughes. Um, This is another great one um, that I would recommend if you want something to kind of follow along, kind of do your own study. That's what's great about the journals that we gave you, is that you have some space to kind of do some personal study as well. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, because Jesus, Jesus speaks through the Book of Hebrews, and we and we want to yield to His speaking to us, and we want to be prepared for that. We want to be here, and we want to learn well on our own so that we really maximize our time in this book. Okay, so from a family worship standpoint, I want to encourage you to read Hebrews chapter one as a family this week, and just do some initial discussion and talking about it. What are some clear things in this chapter, and what are some questions that you have? And I may not answer all of your questions. But it'll give you a great starting point to say, well, let's try to find some of these answers ourselves as a family because Adam didn't get to touch on them on Sunday. All right? So read through Hebrews chapter 1 as a family. What are some clear things in the chapter? What are questions that you have? Again, I'm excited about this study because theologically, we're going to see how great Jesus is in comparison to everything else. Practically, we're going to see why that matters for us, why we hold fast in light of those things that we see theologically. I'm going to pray for us, and then um, we'll be dismissed. All right, so let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you. Um, we're excited and anticipating what's going to come from this study. Um, Lord, I pray that you would um, teach us, allow us to hear the things that, that, that you've, you've said through this book. God, give us clear understanding. At times it may be difficult because we don't have the same working knowledge of the Old Testament as some of the original readers But God, give us a clear understanding of it. Um, God, help us to be able to see the theological side. But God, we don't want to just taste it and experience it. We want it to be immersed into us. And so God, I pray from the practical side that we would endure to the very end as a result of this study. That you would use this study, you would use the warnings that we see in this study as they were intended to, to be as a tool for keeping your people persevering and enduring to the end. So, God, I pray that you would teach us more about you theologically, and, God, I pray that we'd see the fruit of that that study come out practically in our life as we hold fast and cling to you and call others to do the same. God, we pray for Catherine as as she'll be leaving us. Um, God, I pray um, that you would continue to cause her to hold fast to you as well. Um, Lord, we're thankful for the time that she's been a part of our church. I thank you for the friendships that we have with her. I thank you for the encouragement that she's brought to our people here. God, I thank you for giving us, for giving us, uh, giving her to us for a season of her life. Um, and God, as she prepares now to move back home, um, God, I pray for her ministry within her family, for the ministry that she'll have at her new job. God, I pray that she would be a light in both those places, and that you would be uh, using her as a means of encouragement uh, to those that she'll find herself around regularly. God, I pray that as she searches for a church, um, God, that you would be able to place her in a place where. Um, she'll be well taken care of spiritually and that she'll be able to form new friendships and relationships the type of relationships that are described here in the book of hebrews people who will stir her up to love and good works and keep her holding fast to her faith god i pray that this wouldn't be the the last time that we see her that we'd be able to continue to um to walk with her through her life and that we would be able to get regular updates and maintain friendships and um, god we just look forward to hearing about how you're going to use her in this new location And, uh, God, we just pray that you would be with her as she leaves and that you would use her in a mighty way. And, uh, Father, we pray for this week that you would use us in our context as well, continue to give us uh, just a discipline and a desire to talk about spiritual things with those around us, help us to see the fruit of that labor as well, that um, you would increase your kingdom through our efforts to share Jesus with others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the Word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.